uh, today very much. I know yesterday was a busy day for everyone, and certainly our time was limited, as you do like I do. Saturday's a preparation day for today. But I welcome each one who has come. I do want to thank each one who participated yesterday, and I, I call it an Easter egg outreach. Not that you're going to throw eggs at anybody or anything like that, but that uh, we are wise as serpents and harmless as doves as we reach out into our community and make friends first and then to uh, bring them into the kingdom the best that we possibly can. Good to have each one. We have guests today. We've got special guests today. Uh, folks from Iowa are here and Sharon's uh, sister and brother-in-law. Thanks. They didn't come from Iowa today. They've been out basking in the sunshine of Arizona, and so they are fixing to go back up to cold country. I had a, I heard they had snow the other day in Minnesota, so y'all may have a, because we had frost on my grass yesterday, and then uh, Jill is here, their daughter, and she lives over at Midlothian, and uh, glad to see her. She got out of the storm cellar to come be with us uh, today. It's, we were praying for them the other night when those tornadoes uh, were coming close uh, to them and other people that we knew that lived in the, in that area or in that path. You were in our prayers, and we're thankful that you're all safe and here today. Well, today we're going to go to the book of Mark. We've been kind of marching through Mark this year. Uh, if you remember uh, back in... Uh, as we were getting close to Christmas, I was getting to the point where uh, Jesus was coming towards the cross. And if you remember the royal ride to Jerusalem, y'all remember? I'm real proud of that title. And, <laughs> and so we, uh, a lot of times people would uh, preach that on this uh, day, this Palm Sunday. But uh, today, since I've already done that, we're going to go straight uh, to the cross and uh, preach on I've been to Calvary. Mark chapter 15 is where our text is. And we'll look at several verses, but we'll just kind of jump off into uh, verse uh, 34, kind of give us a springboard. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was 1972-1973. I can't remember that far back. It was a, it was a spell. I was living in Jacksonville, Arkansas, and uh, was uh, getting uh, enrolled in seminary and so forth. So on. Members of Unity Missionary Baptist Church in uh, Jacksonville, Arkansas. And uh, we, uh, we had a radio program that we got to participate. It was in our association. Uh, I always thought it was somewhat uh, humorous. It was called the Missionary Baptist Hour. It lasted 15 minutes. So, <laughs> so go figure. But uh, nevertheless, we got to, got to, our turn came, and we got to preach that. And Uncle Roy Thayer got to preach one time. And he didn't know how to preach for 15 minutes, and I remember listening to the broadcast one day. I was at work, and 
Roy was preaching up a storm and his 15 minutes was over and they were starting the music for you to end the program and they just started started dimming his voice and it sounded like they were dragging him out of the room as uh, he continued to preach but right after that broadcast there came uh, another uh, church that came on and it was the west side uh, baptist church uh, which is what was a bma church and uh, they came on and and they came on with this song and i had never ever heard this song before and and uh, as I, as I listened to it, and of course I became familiar with it through, through the time that I was there, it was called, I've Been to Calvary. And I listened to the words of it, and it said, I've never traveled far around the world. I've never seen the many thrills and sights unfurled. But I have taken the journey of journeys for me up Calvary's mountain, there my Savior to see. Now, when they said that, the, the Savior to see, I said, hey, dude, he ain't there. And then it started in the chorus. I've been to Calvary. I can say I've seen the Lord. I thought, uh-oh, these folks have gone into some wrong theology. And then it says, I've been to Calvary through the witness of his word through the witness of his word each day at Calvary what a thrill to love of love divine just to know the Savior is mine and so as we go through the witness of God's word we come to Calvary Calvary is the place that God so loved the world Jimmy that he gave his only begotten son. Calvary is the place, Brother B.J., that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Calvary is the place where God, who knew no sin, gave his son to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How helpless, how hopeless we would be if it were not for that place that we know as Calvary. I've been privileged to be to that physical location and to stand there and look upon that hill, which is now a Muslim cemetery, and see that place that's in the shape of a skull you can see the eyes, you can see the mouth, you can see the indentions of that, faith, that, that place. It was probably more defined 2,000 years ago. And to think there's where the Prince of Glory died for me and for you. And so today, that song, I Have Been to Calvary, is a special, special song. There had been much activity up to this point. Jesus, as if you remember from our last message, had been betrayed by Judas and Iscariot in the garden. He had been taken captive. He had been tried unjustly three times by the Jewish, Jewish trials, three times by the Roman trials. All of them 
were illegal trials for various reasons. One, that they were done at night. Uh, he was not able to have any representation. He was uh, not uh, invited to do some things that you should be able to do when they're going to sentence you to death. And so Jesus, we find, was taken and he was turned over to Pilate. And so he was tried, he was sentenced to die. And he fulfilled that prophecy in silence. He fulfilled that prophecy in silence when it said in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought to a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so opened not his mouth. We realize that Jesus could have cried out for the angels of heaven who were waiting on the, the gates of heaven to come and to rescue Jesus and to wipe Pilate and his whole army off into the very bowels of hell. But Jesus kept his mouth closed and suffered in silence like a lamb before her shearers. Matter of fact, he fulfilled prophecy several times. Fulfilled it in Psalm 69, verse 21, when it says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar. And John Best describes that in John chapter 19, verse 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. See, there was one prophecy there that was left, and that was this one. And so Jesus, whether he was thirsty or not, I don't know. Some say you lose that much blood, you get thirsty, but whether or not he knew that he had to fulfill that prophecy and said, I thirst, and they brought this vessel of vinegar and filled the sponge with vinegar, and they put it upon his lips. And so Jesus fulfilled that and many other prophecies. God has a plan today. Realize for your life, God has a plan for my life. He had a plan for Jesus. There are no accidents. There are only appointments in the sovereignty of God. And so Jesus suffered. He suffered physically, spiritually, emotionally. And as we look today, we see three things. First of all, we're going to see the cry of Jesus. We're going to see the why of Jesus. And then we're going to see the my, my of Jesus. First of all, we see the cry of Jesus. At the ninth hour, it says in verse 34, he cried with that loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? One of the best descriptions of crucifixion I've ever read was written by a man by the name of Jim Bishop. Jim Bishop describes what Jesus may have suffered that day. If you'll bear with me, I'll read something that from this excerpt. Some I've read this before. You'll bear with me. You have heard this. The scourging of Rome is more deadly. Remember that Jesus, before he was crucified, was scourged. He said it was more deadly. It was administered by a trained man called a lictor. He used a short circular piece of wood to which was attached several strips of leather. At the end of each strip, 
He sewed a chunk of bone or a piece of iron chain. This instrument was called a flaglium. There was no number set of stripes to be administered. The law said nothing about the parts of the body to be assailed. Jesus was stripped and tied to a lone stone column. The soldier who performed flagliations was the Jerusalem garrison uh, for the Jerusalem garrison, approached and out of curiosity bent down to see the face of the victim, then moved to a position about six feet behind Jesus and spread his legs. The flag limb was brought all the way back as the strips of leather smashed against the back of the ribcage. The bits of bone and chain curled round the side, uh, right side of the body and raised small subconscious hemorrhages on the chest. The flaglium came back again and aimed slightly low. It crashed against the skin and flesh. The lips of Jesus seemed to be moaning, moving in prayer. The flaglium now moved in slow, heavy rhythm. Then he goes to the nailing. The executioner laid the cross being behind Jesus and brought him to the ground quickly by grasping his arm and pulling him backward. As soon as Jesus fell, the beam was fitted under the back of the neck and then on each side, soldiers quickly knelt to the inside of the elbows. Jesus gave no resistance and said nothing. But he groaned as he fell to the back of his head and the thorns pressed against his scalp. Once begun, the matter was done quickly and efficiently. With the right, an executioner probed the wrist of Jesus to find the little hollow spot. When he found it, he took one of the square cut nails from the teeth and held it against the spot directly behind where the so-called lifeline ends. He raised the hammer over the nail head and brought it down with force. Two soldiers grabbed each side of the cross beam and lifted as they pulled up and dragged Jesus by the wrist. With every breath he groaned when the soldiers reached the upright, the four of them began to lift the crossbeam higher until the feet of Jesus were off the ground. The body must have writhed with pain. His arms were now in a V position. Jesus became conscious of two endurable circumstances. The first was that the pain in his wrist was beyond bearing and that muscle cramps knotted his forearms and upper arms and the pads of his shoulders. The second was that his pectoral muscles at the sides of the chest were momentarily paralyzed. This induced him to involuntary panic for he found that where he could draw air into the lungs, he was powerless you exhale and so in that state Jesus cries out my God my God why hast thou forsaken me the cry of Jesus the why of Jesus is why hast thou 
forsaken me? Why hast thou forsaken me? The Father had always been there for Jesus. Anytime that Jesus, as he left heaven and he came to earth and as he navigated through this sinful world as he faced rejection many times and as Jesus would go to the mountaintop or to the garden or some secret place, he was always able to find fellowship with the Father. He was always able to find solace with his heavenly dad. But now, covered with our sins, for the Bible says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus hung there. As he hung there clothed in our sin, robed in his blood, and all of a sudden, heaven hid his face, the Father turned his back, and Jesus was alone. Imagine yourself coming to your house and your child has been the victim of a robber. He has your child by the head of the hair, a knife to their throat. And they cry out to you, Mama or Daddy, help! And you turn your back and allow them to be killed without any assistance from you. That's what Jesus tasted that day. Our sin placed upon him. Imagine all of our sin just in this room melted down into the form of one human body. How ugly and filthy that might be. And God, who is holy and righteous and cannot behold sin, the Bible says, turned his back, so to speak, on his son. And he died there alone, crying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so Jesus died. The questions always come, why did Jesus have to die? There was a fella, I can't think of his name right now, but he wrote a book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Had to Die. Well, I'm not going to give you 50 of them, so relax. One, so sin, the sin question could be settled. The sin question could be settled. There was a sin problem, you see, because we've all been born with the nature to sin. That's why it's easier to do wrong than it is to do right. As Jim Nichols said one time, you know, a child, you ask a child, why did you do that? And they look at you in innocency and say, I don't know. And they really don't. They did just what was natural for them to do. And it's natural for us to do wrong. I find it a lot easier to do wrong than it is to do right. <laughs> Amen. Oh, me. One of the two. But Jesus, as he hung there upon the cross, robed in our sin, we find that the sin question was settled as the judgment of God was poured down upon him. And he died forsaken, bearing the judgment of our iniquities, dying alone. Number two, so, so divine justice could be delivered. 
If you remember there in Isaiah, it says, When he shall hear the travail of his soul, he shall be satisfied. My theology is that when, Jesus, when God the Father heard the travail of his cry, judgment had been meted out. Justice was satisfied. See, God's not like the earthly judges of our day that dismiss wrongdoings. He must judge sin, and he must judge our sin, but Jesus paid it all. He, we owed a debt we could not pay, but he paid a debt he did not owe. And so divine justice was settled and delivered. Number three, so Christ could be raised from the dead. Unless Jesus died, he could not be raised from the dead. And we know the prophecy was that Jesus would die and he would rise again. He said that himself three times here in the book of Mark as we discussed last time. He would be killed, he would die, he would be buried, and he would rise again. I'm glad to tell you today that Jesus is not on the mountain. He's not on the cross. But he is risen from the dead and he is alive today. And we'll talk about that next week. But he had to die first. And last, that he would have the power to save. If Jesus, listen to me, if you miss everything else, okay, get this. If Jesus could not help himself in the hour of death, then be assured he can't help you in the hour of death. But Paul said it well. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, the dynamis power. That means the same word we get dynamite from. <laughs> power of God unto salvation salvation to save save from what well to save from that judgment <laughs> to save us for heaven to save us through this world of woe he has the power to do that we don't <laughs> we don't we try sometimes don't we do the best that we possibly can but we finally come to terms with the fact at one point in our life that we cannot save ourselves we can't do it here and we can't do it in the hour of death and I know there's a lot of philosophies out there will tell you how you can be saved Who, which one do you take which one do you pick oh, I'll tell you what I've chosen ma'am the one guy who rose from the dead, I'm going to take his word. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The why of Jesus. Why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken, so I would never be forsaken. The my of Jesus. My God, my God. Eli, Eli, why hast thou forsaken me? Which interpreted is, my God, my God. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Wow. Who nailed Jesus to the cross? When I was in seminary, that was a big question. You don't go through that too. Yeah, who nailed Jesus to the cross? 
I remember Dr. Frazier one day, he said, I just want to settle this argument that's going through the school. And so he went to the chalkboard. A lot of you kids don't know what a chalkboard is, but you take chalk and this, this board is, is black, or if it's a modern one, it's green, okay? But ours was still black. And so he takes the white chalk and he writes on there, Romans. Roman soldiers, they are the ones that literally nailed Jesus to the cross. That's why the Jewish community hated Rome. Number two, the Jewish nation. That's why the Romans don't care for the Jews or even the Protestants don't like the Jews is because, and we don't see that too much today except when they go over to Beth, what's his name, and have a shootout. Some people still don't like them because they believe that, that, that the Jews crucified Jesus. They didn't have the right the legal right, Jimmy, to crucify. They could convict, but they could not crucify. That's why they turned them over to the Romans. So they, 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 both of them were guilty. And then, number three, he wrote down God the Father. God the Father. Remember what it said in Isaiah 53? He was smitten of God. God was the one. He could have stopped at any time. Jesus could have cried out and said, you know, as we used to say, when boys would have wrestling matches and, and a guy get you in a headlock, you'd say, calf rope. <laughs> and that meant he had, had to let you go. Jesus could have cried out, calf rope. Or God the Father could have said, son, you've had enough. Which father here would not say that? How many, how many of you would, would give your child to die for the world? How many of you would allow your child to die for the sins of the world? That's what God did. And then he wrote number four. I thought, who in the world? Who's left? And he wrote us, our sin. Our sin nailed him to the cross. What kept him on the cross? Our sin. Because he had to pay the price. He had to pay it in full. And so he did. My God, my God, smitten of God, Jesus suffered at the hands of wicked men. And now, he suffers for those wicked men that nailed him to the cross. What a flip-flop. Let me give you three wonders. I know how to close this message, so this is how I'm going to do it. Verse 37, we see the wonder of his death. Again, he cried with a loud voice, and he gave up the ghost. The wonder of the veil, number two, says the veil of the temple was rent in verse 38 in twain. It was rent in twain from top to the bottom. I don't know if you know this or not, but that was a God thing. When you study that veil, it was, it was thick. One person couldn't carry it. It took hundreds of people to carry this thing, history says. 
and it was cut right down the middle. Only God could do that. The third wonder was the witness at the cross. Verse 39, when the centurion, that soldier, that Roman soldier stood over against him, saw that, he so cried out and gave up the ghost. He said, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. This man was the Son of God. So in closing, I would say, number one, Jesus was forsaken on the cross that we might not be forsaken. Number two, that God knows what it means to give up someone who you love. We all know people who have done that, or maybe you've done that yourself. Number three, God's means of having a relationship with us is through faith in his son as revealed through the witness of his book I've been to Calvary through the witness of the word we can never be the same when we come to the foot of the cross by faith it was Martin Luther that discovered that wonderful verse that said the just shall live by faith we are saved by faith for the future we are forgiven by faith of our past and we live by faith even in the tough times by faith would you stand with me let's bow our heads father we thank you today for the place to call calvary father we know it must have been the worst day of your existence as you saw your son hanging on a cross bearing our sin my sin but yet you were willing to let him pay the full price of punishment as you poured out all the judgment and justice and separation on our behalf I pray, Father, today that we have been to Calvary through the witness of your word and it gave us a new appreciation. We're so, we're so guilty of forgetting the price that you paid, taking for granted your love and your grace and your mercy that is found there at the foot of the cross. I pray, Lord, if there are those who have never come to the foot of the cross with a repentant heart and a genuine faith, that today in the privacy of their own heart that they might humble themselves and say, Lord, I'm just an old sinner. And I thank you for letting Jesus die for me. And I want him to be my Savior and my Lord. To save my soul and to lead my life in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Help me, Lord. Forgive me when I forget. Renew my faith. 
In Jesus' name, amen.